Hi there, and welcome to the Homestead Education Podcast. Do you have a homestead, farm, or just dream of a rural life? This is a show to help you and your kids grow your own food and grow as a person. I'm your host, Cody Hanner. I'm a homesteader, homeschool mama six, and small town enthusiast. I was raised by an old school rancher and blessed by the grace of God to have been exposed to so much of what rural life has to offer. Join me every week to talk about homesteading, homeschooling, and growth with a homestead education. Hi, everyone. I have Shelby DeVore from Farm and Ends today, and she's a multi-generational homesteader with 20 plus years experience of running a successful homestead. She also is an educated agriculturalist with her bachelor's in animal and dairy science and master's in agriculture. She spent several years teaching high school and college and now lives with her husband and three kids in Texas. So hi, Shelby. Hey, super excited to be here today and talk homesteading with you. Absolutely. Um, I've been really excited to have you on because for years before I even started my podcast and stuff, I was seeing your great summits out there and always was like, I need to check these out. (laughs) Yeah. They're so much fun. And it's so crazy how big they've gotten the past couple of years and like how big of a reach, you know, we have, which we knew it was big. We know there's a lot of people that are interested in this lifestyle and what we have to teach, but sometimes we don't realize like how many people are actually attending and showing up and getting stuff out of it. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have, I had my first live webinar recently on how to teach homesteading to your kids. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, I was blown away by how many people showed up. I thought I was like going to be lucky to like be chatting with five people. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It really is. I think um, just stuff that has happened, especially the past couple of years, like has really opened people's eyes to this lifestyle. And I mean, I might be a little bit biased, but there's so, there's so many positives to this lifestyle, right? Like once you know that it's a possibility, it's hard to not get sucked into it. So absolutely. I mean, oh man, like I, it's, I, I find something new that I know I can learn how to do. And then I'm like, oh, now I need to do the next thing and the next thing. And yep. yeah, next thing I know, I, I haven't slept in two years and <laughs> It's addictive, right? It's addictive. It really is. Which I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy about it because I love to learn. And I've talked with a lot of my customers about this. They like to learn also. And I think that's one of the things that's so appealing is there's always something else to do. There's Mm -hmm. always another skill that you can learn. Um, There's a new like crop you can try in your garden each year, you know, like the possibilities of what you can do are pretty much endless, which makes it super interesting. Like it's not one of those, it's not like a hobby that people take up and, you know, six months later, like you feel like you've mastered a skill and you're like, well, that was fun. You know, let's on to the next thing. Like there's, literally so much stuff that you can do, which keeps it really entertaining. Oh my gosh. Yes. I say that homesteading is just a giant science experiment. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Cause it's all, you know, like you hypothesize what's going to happen and you 
record it and you observe it and you change it and yep you know rinse lather repeat a hundred percent and what's funny about that is I feel like I'm living like a giant homestead experiment right now so I'm originally from West Tennessee and Mm -hmm. we moved to Texas uh two years ago and the growing environment completely different the seasons completely different and you know I feel like pretty good about my skill set as far as you know managing livestock and taking care of the garden and it has been a bigger adjustment than (laughs) than I was expecting it to be which has been interesting right because I feel like I'm learning all kinds of stuff every time I try something here so yeah it's definitely just a big old experiment right now oh i Feel you completely. I moved from Northern California where you should theoretically be able to grow anything. And I couldn't grow anything there and moved to North Idaho where, I mean, I don't know what you got going on right now, but we had a snowstorm last night. We've got about five inches of snow. Oh, and, wow. I mean, I can grow anything here. <laughs> um, That is insane. First of all, because it's supposed to be 85 degrees here today. It is absolutely gorgeous. Like This morning I was working away, plugging along on Summit stuff and I had my window open and I kept thinking, I need to get outside. Like it is gorgeous outside today, but yeah, well, I'm glad that you're having better luck in Idaho. That's funny (laughs) though, that a harder growing environment has worked out well for you. I think it was the heat down there because um, I don't feed or water anything unless it like screams that it's dying. So, you know. I had to learn that um, pretty fast here because in Tennessee, it's super humid all the time. Mm -hmm. It rains a lot um, because you get a lot of like that Gulf moisture and stuff that comes in. And here uh, we're lucky if we get like one sprinkling during the growing season. So lots of drip irrigation and like careful monitoring. we moved in the summer and I had a tower with a bunch of herbs in it when we moved, never watered them like at all, ever. Like it just hung out off of one of my sidewalks in Tennessee uh-huh. and I killed it so fast <laughs> moved because I just wasn't in the habit of watering them. Mm-hmm. And within a couple of weeks, I mean, they were like bone dry. And I thought, I probably should pay more attention to that now. It's, it's a little mm-hmm. bit different. here. <laughs> yeah. Well, wh- one of the first things we noticed here is none of the alfalfa fields or barley fields or anything have irrigation. Yeah. We just have that much rain and groundwater that yeah. nothing has to be watered. So I mean, I have to water my garden, but I mean, yeah. if I forget a day, nothing dies, you know? <laughs> I, yeah, that's how it was in Tennessee. and. That's funny. I feel like we totally flip-flopped on <laughs> our growing environment because I have the issues that you had in California. Um, but yeah, when we moved and we would drive past, you know, like cow pastures and stuff, there were huge irrigators everywhere. And I just remember thinking, 
That is so insane. Like I've never thought about the fact that there are people that have to water their pastures because Mm -hmm. it doesn't rain enough, you know, like that was just something you just had back in Tennessee. You didn't have to worry about it. You didn't have to babysit it. So I actually, I toured a organic beef operation in California uh, when I was in college and they had those big pasture irrigators and they actually had a cow get killed because it like just laid there while the irrigator rolled over it. it was that like is national selection. Ultimate ultimate level of not caring. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I guess that's a true like happy cow from California or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Which actually that's this brings up my next topic is Um, I always joke that I'm the black sheep of the homestead world because of my education in agriculture. And I think I found another black sheep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We are definitely a rarity. Mm -hmm. I have found that out quickly. Most people in our industry are self-taught, which Mm -hmm. Which I mean, there's really great, fun grassroots stories. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's definitely value in teaching yourself. Um, But I also find it interesting when I do have conversations with people that are self-taught, I find that the conversation ends up being a little bit more one-sided with them like, hey, you understand how this stuff works. Why is it, you know, when I do X, Y, Z in my garden, does this make a difference? Or, you know, like when I swap out this feed for this feed I see different gains in my cattle like why is that and um, I find myself answering a lot of questions which I think gives us a unique perspective right because not only are we like practicing what we preach in our own lifestyle and learning as we grow also but I think we can understand how things work just at a deeper level, um, which Mm. has so much value that it also causes you to go into much deeper rabbit holes. (laughs) Yeah, it does. I know it really does. Sometimes I tend to overthink something. I'm like, well, if I use, you know, this fertilizer and then is this going to happen? And is this going to happen? And then I'm, you know, sitting in a pile of like notes and textbooks and, just go put the fertilizer on. <laughs> yeah, just try something. Yeah. I I do the same thing too. Um because you you do have that deeper level of understanding. You get to where you're like almost like nitpicking what your results could be. And sometimes you just have to be like, you know what? We're just going to try this and and see how it goes. Especially the way our farm kind of runs at the moment is because of my online businesses and homestead homeschooling the kids and all those things that I have going on, my husband and teenage boys run the farm mostly. And yeah. my husband doesn't have an ag background. So he's like, I don't know. I fix fences. I put cows in the fence. Like, yeah, I just I do. do the things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, did you make sure they have this? And did you do this? Cause if you do this, this is going to happen. And he's like, yeah, no, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how my husband is too. So Um, he did FFA in high school, but literally like that was the extent of his Mm -hmm. ag experience. Um, like his parents did not garden. He 
barely had pets. I mean, like he had a dog as a kid, like Mm -hmm. that was the extent of it. And I was the one that brought all of that to the relationship. And, um, it's funny. He's, he does help with like everything that I ask him to help with, but I find myself like being overly specific with him about like, make sure that you do this. And then you do this, you know, X, Y, Z, you probably do the same thing. (laughs) And then afterwards I'm like, so did you get, you know, all of this stuff done? And he's like, Oh, I just did, you know, like insert bare minimum that needed. Like, and I'm like, the the cows are where you wanted them to be. Isn't that enough? And I'm like, Oh, like you were supposed yeah. to run them through the chute and do the the worm thing, the worm drench, and, yeah. you know, before you put them out on the big pasture, because the big pasture hasn't had anyone on it. So I know that it's full of like worm eggs and he's just like, yeah. but they have grass. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's not, that's only, I mean, it's mud season here. That's our, yeah. our pigs and cows yeah. all have to be wormed before mud season because it's bad. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. he just can't like that he can't wrap his brain around that. Like that everything has to happen in a cycle and in order. Yes. I totally get it. Same 100% same issues. <laughs> and I mean, we have yeah, my husband was very similar. He grew up in a farm community, but he grew up in town and he hunted, which, you know, I mean, that's definitely a whole category in this homesteading realm. Yeah. But even with that, my dad was a hunting guide. My mom was a taxidermist. So I still had that like way big leap on him in that. Yeah. That's so funny. I'm pretty sure he only married me because my dad was a hunting guide. So <laughs> we won't tell anybody. <laughs> you know what? I married him for his fried chicken. So, okay. Then it works out. It's even, it's even. Hey, he fried chicken better than me. I'm like, it's, it's settled. We're married. Then you can, you can definitely have that job. Um, my, that's funny. I feel like our husbands would be friends. Um, my (laughs) husband is the fry cook in our house. I can bake all the things and like Mm -hmm. cook meals from scratch. I'm not good at frying anything. So that's like a hundred percent my husband's job. And he fries and grills and smokes. Yeah. Yeah. Same. That's what my husband does. And he doesn't mind doing the sides with it. Like, you know, like he's not one of those husbands that's like, I'm going to go do steaks. You do everything else. And I'm going to take the credit. Like, no, he's, he wants to do it all. Like, and so we just split meals and it's great. We do the same thing. That's so nice. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. When you can just sit down and, you know, being a disabled vet, (laughs) doing a disabled vet, my husband's home all the time. He's a stay at home dad. So, and you know, he also, we have the ranch and stuff, but it's like, we're both working all day long. It's not just my job. So yeah. And we have teenagers. So it's definitely not just my job. <laughs> we don't have teenagers yet. Our oldest, he just turned 12 and I feel like he's actually going to be easy. Um, Cause he's nice. just like my husband. He's like super laid back. Nothing bothers him. The two younger are girls and they take after me. I feel like they have an attitude already and I'm not looking forward to <laughs> the teenage years with them. I feel like it's going to be rough. You know, I'm going to teenage years with my 14 year old daughter, but she's abundantly weird, just like me. So um, we get along pretty well. Okay. That's good. Good to know. 
Yeah. Um, you know, she drives my husband crazy because he doesn't understand the weird. So, you know, <laughs> we're also a blended family. So we don't have some of those same, like, I don't care if she's weird because she is mine, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you get yeah. a lot of other personalities coming into the family. But um, we when we got married, he had two boys and I had my twins and then we've had two together. So. Oh, wow. There's a lot going on in your house. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but it's been really good. So I actually, I had a homeschooler on recently and she said something that just rang so true for me. And it was that in this very loud space of the internet right now, there is a lot of uh, influencers or content creators that are more relatable over reliable. Okay. And yeah. I know that us, you know, coming from a science background, we have reliable pounded into our heads. However, with this being a fairly new, the modern homestead is a fairly new movement and there's a lot of new research and things going into it. How do you approach some of these subjects and teach on it? So I like to say that I'm an open book and we, so we touched on this a little bit at the beginning of this episode, mm -hmm. the fact that so much of what we do, it's like an experiment, right? Yeah. Um, and which as this, you could hear, I was trying to be careful as to how I said everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, there's so much that you have to take into consideration when it comes to homesteading, because in so much of what we do, we're dealing with nature and nature is not consistent mm -hmm. most of the time. Um, I mean, even let's say you and I lived next door to each other. We're still not going to be able to implement the same exact practices because your soil may be a little bit different than mine. You may have a was, slightly different microclimate than mine. I was going to say, bring up a soil map and you can see that every plot of land yeah, have a different. Exactly. Setup. Exactly. So um, there's so much room for error. And I think people, they get like this, almost like this dreamy vision of what a homestead should look like and how things should work. And that's not always realistic. Mm -hmm. So I think the people that come at it on like an open book and say, you know, I tried this theoretically, it should have worked, but it didn't like, let's figure out why, or let's figure out, you know, let's try something different. I think that helps open people's eyes to, the fact that, again, we're working with nature, we have to take that into consideration. Um, it's not always a plug and play situation, right? So sometimes when, and I have to stop and think about this, and you might do the same thing. Um, you know, when, when you go in, you get a formal education in agriculture, you learn a lot of theories, you learn how stuff should work in an ideal situation. Um, and then if an issue comes up, you learn how to troubleshoot it. Well, I think Absolutely. 
what gets skipped over a lot. I realize they can't see me nodding. (laughs) I I talk with my hands a lot. They're keeping them down below where you can't see them, but they're going crazy. Um, Or I I point, like I was pointing at my diploma in the background with my pen and you can't see that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I point too. And yeah, nobody can see it. It's fine. Um, (laughs) So, but yeah, I think that sometimes the, the troubleshooting factor is what people need, you know, Mm -hmm. like if they're trying to do things and it's not working and we're, you know, you can tell them theory and what should work all the time, but if it's not working for them again, like they're not going to get anything out of it, which is where it comes back to the whole relatable thing. I think there are people out there that are doing a good job of saying, Mm -hmm. this is what I tried. And they're like showing you what they're doing whether it worked or not. And it kind of gives those people an insight into, okay, I had that same issue. I need to try something different too. Or I tried that. It didn't work. I need to try something else. So I think there's a lot of value in trying to be relatable to people and not just showing them pretty flashy end results of what it could be, but actually showing them like, the nitty gritty of this is what's actually going on. This is what it could actually look like. So I think that that tends to resonate a little bit better. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think for me, the biggest issue I found was a lot of what we did in college and even in practice, like I worked in food plants a lot. It was kind of, there was always variables, but everything was a little bit more of a sterile environment. Yeah. And you, so you had like a little bit more of a constant, like even when we were growing out in our fields in college and stuff, I mean, it was, they would put the implements in to get it to match another field. And then that's what you were working with. And so I think the biggest thing that I did when I really started this homestead endeavor was kind of almost throw out everything I knew and then started fresh and researched that piece individually to like relearn what I like all the fundamentals I learned in college, but then took my science experiment brain and made it work for what I was doing here because nothing is sterile or the same or (laughs) not even close. Yeah. And that's, that's really important to recognize is when you learn from kind of a a research-based background, one of your goals when you are doing research is to eliminate all of the variables because you're trying to study one at a time, right? Mm -hmm. And again, when we're actually dealing with nature, there are thousands, millions of variables (laughs) at any given time. Sorry. Like inhaled some coffee and couldn't get it to stop. Oh no, that's the worst. All right, I think I'm good. Okay. So there are, there's so many variables in nature when you're growing in your backyard or you're running cows or sheep or, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you're trying to do, make cheese, that you can't 
realistically, because you're not doing this in a lab setting, you're not doing this as a field experiment, right? Like you Mm -hmm. have to learn how to work with what you've got and work with the, I'm doing air quotes, um, (laughs) unsterile conditions that you have, right? So if you have a pest issue, what are you going to do about it? How can you work around that? If you've got soil mineral deficiencies, you know, how can you work around that and make, turn it into the best possible situation that you can just going into it, knowing it's not that research lab, sterile environment that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, so when I was younger, I always had dreamed of working for the USDA that was my, that was all I was ever going to do. I was going to be an inspector for the USDA. That was, I don't know. I heard about it, thought it was awesome. All I ever wanted to do. Like meat inspection or. Mm-hmm. So, or I didn't even really know. I I mean, I'd grew up in ag, but yeah. On the rancher end. And I didn't know what exactly, but I mean, the USDA seemed like the highest you could be in the agriculture world. So that's where I wanted to be. I mean, I'm just kind of going on a, like a child understanding of it. I had a friend's sister went into the USDA. Everybody was really proud of her. And so, you know, I majored in animal science, but my focus was uh, food safety. And I actually ended up working in the private sector um, to get plants ready for USDA inspections and other big inspections like that. And the Biggest thing I've found coming back into the homestead world is that they kind of aren't like the end all be all. And I mean, I think that was like a really big transition for me. And the more I'm learning and the more I'm like, I'm reading, I don't know, even when I teach on the reliable sources. I always say like, you know, kind of start with your extension offices and things like that before you go to a blogger and find a blogger who maybe lives in your region because they are going to have some really great hands-on information, but it's not going to be science-based. Right. And then I'm reading this book right now that is like talking about the creation of the USDA. And I'm like, mind blown that like not the greatest uh intentions interesting you're gonna have to share the title of that book with me absolutely and I'm kind of I mean there's more to the book but that's the section Mm -hmm. I'm in right now and I'm just like and I mean you know overall I'm not saying it you know the USDA or the land-grant colleges are bad or anything but I was really I kind of had to like step back for a second and be like, should I still be sending people to extension offices for information and stuff? And then yeah. I, you know, I, th- I thought about it and I'm like, you know, your average extension office, you know, person who is trying to teach, they are coming from it. They're kind of, they have that, the science on their side, but then they also have your local climates, your local farmers, and they're still going to give probably the best starter information yeah. that you're going to find out there. But that was I will a big... say, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And I will say that um, a lot of the, the people that I talk to that are just starting, you know, 
they have a new homestead, a new farm, whatever venture they have going on. Um, I send people to extension a lot for the same reasons that you do. They have access to um, a lot of localized information. And this is especially true for people that want to turn their farm into a profitable, profitable venture. Mm -hmm. Um, They have, you know, market insights that maybe I can't give them, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, I probably don't live in the same County that you live in. I don't know what type of cows your neighbors are raising. I don't know what value (laughs) add products need to be added to the market in your area. Right. So it's a really good starting place but I feel like it's, it's a starting place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, there's, there's a lot lacking that people still have to learn and research for themselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we were talking about kind of those reliable on the internet. So I'm a huge supporter of 4-H. My kids all do it. I'm a leader of every group that I have time for um, because I wouldn't be the person I am today without this program. I see a lot of other kids that wouldn't be the people they are. Yeah. But I, so I have this homeschool curriculum on, you know, how to learn home homestead ag science. And I had someone just massively attacking me online that you don't need this because you can learn it all in 4-H. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's frustrating. I mean, it's like we talked about a few minutes ago. This is Which, oh, sorry, one second for my listeners. 4-H is ran through the extension offices from the land grant colleges. Just to kind of clarify, we kind of skipped forward in the the things we just inherently know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, so that's frustrating that somebody would like go after you for that because 4-H is a really good starting point. Mm -hmm. And I feel similarly about FFA. So when I was um, in high school, I did FFA. And when I was teaching agriculture, I ran an FFA program. And I can look back on it and see so many of the kids that I taught, like took what they learned in the classroom, went and got college degrees in, you know, some sort of agriculture field, and they're doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they would have necessarily done that if it wasn't for them having that program available. Absolutely. Um, So. But I know as far as learning like a deep education in it, Oh yeah. I mean, even my kids, we're in a really small County. So some counties have where they can have like three levels, you know, like you're doing, you know, swine one, swine two and swine three. We don't have that in our County. We are a small County and we kind of just truck these kids through to make sure they get to go to fair every year. Yeah. It's just, it's what we have the availability to do. So I think that's, I think that's really common. Because Mm -hmm. we had the same issue. I mean, most of these kids that are interested in this come from really rural areas Mm -hmm. and they may not have all of the resources um, that, you know, like 
some of the more populated areas would have, but Mm -hmm. they can't. And because of that, like you said, they can't learn everything that there is to learn just in their time within the program. Like I have a master's degree in agriculture. I am quote unquote, an expert in my field. And I learn new stuff every single day. Oh, yes. Every single you, there's no way this is literally a lifestyle that you will never stop learning. Mm -hmm. There's always something new to learn. There's always another topic to go into. So I think that's the best part. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Because I'm, I'm going to look, I'm just going to tell you, I'm a nerd and I love to read. I love to learn. I always have. And I think that's part of what attracts me to this so much is I feel like I could learn something every single day for the rest of my life and never learn everything that there is to know. Oh yeah. I, that's so funny. I I laughed pretty hard when you said you're a nerd because that's my husband calls me a nerd at least once a day. (laughs) Yeah. Mine does too. I'm so excited about everything. (laughs) Yeah. I'm Um, reading and I'm like, I I like stop everything. Like kids, you have to come learn, you know, being homeschoolers, even on the days we're not doing school. Like I'm like, everybody stop what you're doing. We're reading something. (laughs) Yeah. That's actually part of why I decided to start a business online. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was teaching in the classroom and I was, you know, teaching full-time as a high school teacher, part-time as a college educator. And you would think by the end of the day, I would be tired of talking about how to raise livestock or (laughs) how to grow crops in a greenhouse or anything, right? Like you, you would think that I would just come home and just be done. And you you were sparked. Oh yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know how many times my husband would come home from work. And this was especially true when I was working on my um, thesis for my master's degree, um, which I did a research project on reproductive technologies that are used with livestock and how we can incorporate that into like conservation efforts for endangered species. I absolutely love that field of like reproduction, reproductive nutrition, genetics, livestock, like all the things, right? And so I would come home from teaching and my husband would come home and I'd be like, oh my gosh, you are not going to believe the piece of research that I read today. And he's like, what? Like, aren't you tired? Haven't you been talking about this all day? And I'm like, I know, but I haven't told you. You don't know this yet. Like, look at how cool this is. Look, And I'd be like showing him like graphs and stuff from the research paper. And he's like, okay. And finally, finally one day, this was uh, not long after I finished my master's degree. I found myself with all sorts of free time after I had completed my degree. And, um, I was still like doing a ton of research and stuff, contemplating getting my PhD. And my husband actually said, 
you are super passionate about this and I love you, but I feel like you need to share this with somebody other than me. You need an outlet. Yes. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And he was like, I'll listen to you all day long. Like, I think it's interesting, but there's, there's more people out there that would be more interested in it than I am. And I feel like you need to, you need to share that with people. So I was like, okay, started a blog and then it just snowballed into what it is today. But no, um, I understand my blog was, my husband was diagnosed with liver disease and we had to change our whole lifestyle. And I was just buried in information and I needed a place to outlet that and make it a positive thing. Um, it's turned into something completely different now. I've rebranded. I was the homemade revelation. Now I'm homestead education and I I floundered. I even like stopped the uh, website for a couple of years. I was like, this is, I mean, I did a little bit with it, but I was like, this is, this isn't my passion, but there's something like bubbling inside of me and I needed to figure out what what it was. And I've done that and it's done great for me. And I'm I'm excited every day. Like I worked till almost two o'clock in this morning, just excited about the next thing I was doing. I totally like I can do things for my business and spend literally hours and have no idea how much time has passed. Right. My husband's like, you choose to work this much. I'm like, I'm not working. You sit in your chair and play a game on your phone until two in the morning. Why can't I do what I want to do? Yeah. Which is work. I yeah. mean, learn and research and. Yeah. It is the perfect example of the phrase that we probably all heard as a kid. If you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Because I don't feel like I work when I'm working, you know, mm-hmm. like I just feel like I'm sharing something that I'm super passionate about with other people. And that to me, does not feel like work. So no shame. Yeah. I got a little overwhelmed recently with how fast my business took off and it's just me running it. My daughter does my shipping, but you know, um, which all that does is destroy my desk. Luckily you can only see like this much space in my screen because around me is a disaster. (laughs) Um, yeah, you can't see the bookshelf over here. (laughs) It's, I know. I get it. So I picked the part of my day that took up the most time and made me the least happy. And that was just all the operations and customer service and social media. Yeah. Um, I don't hate social media, but I want to be, I want social media to be my checkout, not my job. So um, I hired a whole team about six weeks ago that handles um, well, we're getting there so far. They've taken over most of my social media. Um, not to say for those that are listening that this isn't still me, we work together to create my social media, but yeah. I'm not having to spend the hours like making, you know, making all the graphics and getting everything out there and yeah, that type of thing, researching hashtags. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize, um, when you have a business like ours, how much bandwidth certain tasks take Mm -hmm. and a lot of things 
can be handed off to somebody else and it still be you mm-hmm. running the show, you know? Um, Absolutely. We, My husband spent three hours trying to find a seller's permit for me. Yeah. Yesterday. Cause they're just not like, what my business can do, the amount of revenue I can make for my business working myself versus what the time it would take me to sit there and find one little thing or, you know, get a YouTube video to upload in, you know, rural internet areas. It is so much time and brain power and yeah. Yeah. I totally get it. I hired, um, I hired a lady in September of last year. So roughly six months ago. And I handed over, like you said, I sat down and I was like, what do I hate the most? (laughs) Trains me what takes up the most time and what is something that can be handed off. Right. Like obviously me recording videos with me in it, like that can't be handed off. Like I'm the one that's in it. You can't hand that off, but certain things you can. And so I hired somebody to take over customer service and, um, she actually was, it's a friend of mine and she has done so much, not just what I was doing, but she's like taking our customer service. I would say she's changed it now to where it's like a customer experience and I know, and that's not something I I just didn't have the bandwidth to handle it. Like I was barely managing <laughs> what I was managing. So well, you know, my husband offered to take over my customer service, but nobody wants to hear what he has to say. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> so my husband, um, before I, I hired Heather, she he said something similar. He was like, well, if you don't want to do customer service, why don't you let me do it? And I was like, well, I feel like, um, one of two things is going to happen. Number one, you're going to get frustrated really quickly or number two, um, you're going to get frustrated and then you're going to let people know that Mm -hmm. you're frustrated in a not very nice way. (laughs) And that's not, that's a very nice way of saying that because (laughs) my husband's a veteran and he would talk to you as such. Yeah. Yeah. So my husband is just, he's like protective Mm -hmm. and I feel like, you know, sometimes you get customer service, like complaints and they're not nice. Oh no. Um, Yeah. There's some not nice ones out there. Yeah. So I'm very sensitive to that. I am too. I am too. Um, so I just, you know, was like, you I feel like you're going to get really mad at some of the stuff that people say, because, you know, it's a strange thing about the internet. People feel like they don't have to have a filter Mm -hmm. when they're talking through a screen. Stuff that people would never say, you know, in person, but it's completely different across the internet. So for those of you listening, if you ever have like a customer complaint with an online business, be kind. <laughs> Acknowledge that most of them are either like a one person show or that their assistant yeah. is a lot of times like a friend in your case who they're going to feel 
they're invested in their friend's business and they're going to feel as much hurt as the actual person would. Yeah. And sometimes what we have found, some of the issues we come up with are things that we can't even control. Like we had a lady, um, she purchased our membership program Mm -hmm. and she was not on her device when she did it. She was on her kid's device. And so it automatically filled out her child's email address instead of hers. And so she didn't get any of the content and she sent us this like super hateful email about how like we were scamming her and all this stuff. And um, we ended up like literally having to investigate like what happened. It took days to figure it out. And it wasn't even anything that we like, it was totally out of our control, you know? So she had gotten this stuff. It just went to her daughter's email and her daughter was just deleting it. And anyways, it turned into a huge, huge thing. So, you know, I had one recently where, you know, so teaching homesteading, I mean, it's a, you know, I can base the content on say a, like, you know, an eighth grader you know, the math and the reading level and that type of stuff. But I can't tell if an eighth grader has grown up on a farm or has never seen a cow. Yeah. So there's people that, and so I try to keep it where there's the basic like facts of how you feed a cow. And then there's also like how you calculate yields on butchering a cow so that everybody is getting a little bit of everything. And I actually, I had a lady recently reach out to me and tell me that I was basically a sick individual for marketing my product to her age child who already knew all that stuff. And I was just, yeah, like trying to like suck people in and take their money. And I was like, I can't teach this to every single person. You know, however I am next year, I'm going to be doing an advanced science and, you know, let's keep this ball rolling. Maybe that would be a better product for your child, you know, but like, I don't understand the name calling on that when, okay, your child is beyond that. That's great. If you'd like to send the product back, I would be happy to refund your money. It's not a good fit for you. I understand completely, you know? Yeah. But it's frustrating. It really is. So we're about to the end of our time. Um, I do like to ask everybody what keep growing means to them. Oh, that's a good question. Um, And I think it fits like just with the theme of what we talked about today. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't be scared to keep trying new things. And there's always something to try. There's always something to learn. And I think that's a really good way to just keep growing as a homesteader, like keep experimenting and growing just your skill set. So I love that. Do you want to tell everybody where they can find you and what types of products you have? And yeah, yeah, sure. So um, my main website is farminutes.com. It's a little bit tricky. Um, F-A-R-M-I-N. E-N-C-E.com. And I'll link all this in the show notes. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, We also host 
two really big online summits each year, the Backyard Vegetable Gardener Summit, which we have one coming up the end of March. And then in October, we do the Homestead Livestock Summit. And those are our two big events that we host. We host, we have a ton of um, courses, guides, digital products that Technically, you can purchase individually, but we did open a membership program up last year that gives you access to all of that stuff and then some. So if you're interested in that, I would say definitely check out the Garden Farm Thrive Academy, which is found on our permanent home site. I just so everyone knows I purchased one of her courses recently and it was detailed and beautiful and clean and Um, I was really excited to see the content. So make sure you guys get out there and uh, follow Shelby and um, see what she has to offer. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for joining me today at the Homestead Education. And I hope that I have given you something to think about this week. To help others find me, please comment and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also follow me on Facebook at The Homestead Education and Instagram at homestead underscore education. Do you have questions that you would like answered or just want to say hi? Please email me at hello at thehomesteadeducation.com. Until next time, keep growing!